My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page Two Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. Today, we speak to Samantha Mayer, my colleague and SEO manager at Search Discovery. We talk about her non-traditional path through content management and as a marketing generalist into becoming a full-time SEO dive deep into being an SEO with a content and broad marketing mindset, the importance of utilizing on-site search data to build your content strategy, and what it's like to do SEO for subjects that are, frankly, kind of boring. We also talk about her love of music, including her affinity for the band Dawes, I've never heard of, as well as the get-to mindset, which for me, as a glass-half-empty sort of person, has been incredibly incredibly inspirational. So gear up as we tell Sam's SEO story. Hey everybody, uh, this is Jacob Stoops. I am here with Samantha Mayer, SEO manager and my current colleague at Search Discovery. How's it going, Samantha? Terrific. How are you tonight, Jake? Doing great. I wrangled another colleague to come and join me and talk about SEO and talk about their career and their life and so on and so forth. And um, I, for those of you that are listening, um, I've not worked with Sam for very long, but I feel like, especially within our our company um, and within our little SEO group, she has made Uh, already a tremendous impact. So I am very excited to have her on and have her share her experiences. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jake. Cool. So Sam, so tell everybody about yourself. Who are you? So like Jake said, I'm an SEO manager at Search Discovery. Um, In my past life, I've been everything from a content manager to a digital strategist to a store manager. And I am a true believer that every experience builds upon the past or the previous. So what should people know about you? Well, I think what's funny about me is this is the first time that SEO has been in my title. Really? Yes. And so I feel like, in a sense, this is a reflection of how digital marketing is in 2019. Um, you don't wear one hat, you don't have one role, you don't have one path. And in my experience, I started out um, as a in retail. I feel mm-hmm. like most people do. So I can give you the long or the short of it. The, the long of it is that I graduated in 2009 when no one wanted to graduate college um, based on the economy, the job mm-hmm. market. Yeah. I took LSATs, like, Hail Mary took the LSATs, Mm -hmm. was literally walking um, through campus one day, went to Penn State, and I saw on the sidewalk, it said LSATs, last day to register, Saturday. So I sign up, I take the LSATs, I took literally zero prep. I go and I take the LSATs, I get my score, it's pretty good. I thought to myself, maybe I should go to law school. Okay. I'm not going to get a job, it's 2009. I was majoring in journalism. I'm not going to get a job in journalism. Especially in journalism. I've heard a few horror stories about people majoring in journalism around that time. Horrible. Yeah. Right? And I had zero desire to do uh, broadcast. I wanted to do print. 
and I wanted to do human interest stories. So I didn't want to do like the hard beat reporting. I wanted to do human interest stories. I wanted to do the, the fluffy editorial stuff, mm-hmm. which no one pays for anymore. And I took, I took a year off. I feel like some people do. I took a year off. I moved to Colorado. I worked in a retail shop. It was terrific. I loved it. And then after about a year, I said, you know, all of my friends have moved to New York or Miami, um, L.A. What am I doing here wasting my productive 20s in La La Land in Boulder, Colorado? So I moved back. I drop my MacBook Air or my MacBook Pro, I guess it was at the time, on the floor. I take it into an Apple shop. The Genius Bar technician asks me, you know, yes, I, I make an appointment. I go in. My hard drive is dead. He says, I need to replace it. I say, no. What if I did X, Y, and Z, you know, mm-hmm. and salvaged it? And he said, do you need a job? <laughs> and Jake, I know that you're a believer in that these things, the right people come into your life at the right time. Yeah. And that these things happen for a reason. And he, yep. his name was Blair. And he said, do you need a job? I said, I moved home yesterday. And I 100% need a job. And I, I always laugh. It's like, well, what if you had broken your laptop two days earlier or two days later? Would you have Absolutely. met the same person? Probably not. Right. Absolutely not. You know, because yeah. there's a retail schedule. So I go in and that, this happens, this exchange. And he says, do you need a job? I say, yes. He says, let me set you up. I go in, I interview. Long story short, I was at Apple for about three years, um, and I went from working just in a retail environment to doing new store openings. Um, I helped open the Grand Central store in New York. Um, I helped with some revamped stores in the D.C. market, as well as Philly. And it was all about um, in-store merchandising, optimizing sales floors, optimizing your planogram based on your in-store sales data, and... I'll jump forward a little bit, but I do see how that relates to SEO. It's it's like the tangible SEO. It's like looking at what people are buying and optimizing your store set based on what people are buying. So how do you, how do you, how do you opt Like, I don't know. What what does your day look like? How do you optimize a, a store set? How do you launch a store? What goes into that? So you look at the demographics just like SEO, just like mm-hmm. web traffic. So you look at the demographic of who's coming to the store and what are they buying? What are they buying more of? What do we need to stock up more of? What do we need to put in our, our reorders? And what do we need to prioritize, whether it's a demo hardware? Um, great example, Bose, right? So mm-hmm. Bose was a partner before um, they had Beats. And so Bose had a really... Um, dominant floor presence. So you can look at what units are people buying, headphones, speakers, and put them on demo, move more units, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's I think it's just like SEO. It's like optimizing a store against optimizing a website based on what are people searching for? What are people buying? So how are you measured in that job in terms uh, of like, is it, was it like SEO where like, hey, the more units you move or the better you set up the store or I don't know. I can't even imagine how else it would be each employee. You just took me back. I totally forgot about this internal newsletter that I created, which was called, oh my gosh, I think it was called Sam's 3PP, Sam's third-party products. Okay. The purpose was to move more third-party products. 
So even though you're in an Apple store, you know, the, the goal is to move iOS devices and Macs, but at the same time, the more units you sell, the better partnerships you'll have with those third-party vendors. Mm -hmm. And so my goal was to inform and educate employees to move more products because that was our KPI. How many cell phone cases could you sell? And specifically, how many of um, Logitech or something like that could you sell or OtterBox could you sell? Um, so those are your KPIs and how many units you could move. So, so where was home base for so you? So that was in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. Um, Philly girl, born and raised. Um, so then I'll jump forward from Apple. Um, and I will say that was a like, tremendous time in my life. Some of the coolest, smartest people. I actually still have dreams where I go back to that work environment and I get to work with the same people. It's one of those moments in time that I feel like you just you hold close to your heart. Mm -hmm. um, I left that job because I felt like it was the right time and I took a job at Anthropology's home office which is also in uh, Philadelphia I feel like most people don't know that so Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Free People they're all under the same parent company based in Philadelphia and I took on a job with them doing content management and after about three years that role grew into a senior web producer role and in that role is where I got my first taste of SEO. I worked with a brilliant gal. Uh, she was from California. She worked for Nasty Gal. And when you talk about people who inspire or mentor you, she was so easy to work with. She was so perceptive. And I learned, I got my first taste of SEO from her. Her name is Courtney. And as a uh, web producer anthropology, I personally managed all the women's apparel on the website. So from an e-commerce uh, standpoint, looking at not only the content management, so um, inventory, on-page copy, metadata, units, inventory, syncing all those systems together, but an area that I really tapped into, an area that I am really passionate about today is on-site search. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you more? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. So... Um, it was an area that I was like, oh my gosh, no one at the time was really capitalizing on this incredible data set of on-site search. And I partnered with Courtney. I partnered with our um, analytics team. I partnered with buyers, merchandisers, and we figured out how can we wrangle this on-site search data and optimize investments, change categories, change assortments, make the catalog more relevant. It was like a total light bulb moment. And this is where I think um, is, a, is a pretty, in my opinion, is the wild, wild west of SEO. It's a data set that I think people don't really realize. People have come to your site through some broad match, some broad query, top funnel. Now they've made it down. They're on your website and they're telling you exactly what they're looking for. And you better damn well give it to them. Yes. So it's an example um, that I love, which is uh, looking at the query, on-site search query, for example, yellow dresses. Mm -hmm. And if you're on Anthropology's website, you search for yellow dresses, and I can see either an influx in that, and I can compare that maybe to some brands. So if you're looking for specific brands who carry yellow dresses, and then I take this information back, uh, or MIDI, you know, mid-length, thigh-length, um, you know, maxi. Take all this information back to the merchandisers to optimize their investments, 
uh, the buyers, etc. And to me, it was it was like a whole new dawn. It was like, oh, this is search data. And Courtney loved it too because from that point, we could figure out what would be a better assortment this spring. What would be a better category? What categories do we need to make for the website? Mm-hmm. Because now that we know that people are not only searching for yellow dresses, they're searching for a certain brand of yellow dresses, we need to make sure that we have a page or a category that has that in and it's in the content of things, mm-hmm. and uh, it helped move the needle, not only for sales, but also for SEO. So that's interesting. So one of the pieces, and uh, in, in that's like, it's a different way of thinking about content that you're right. I don't think a lot of people um, take the time to consider or maybe don't know what they don't know. And one of the pieces of advice I always give when Um, when producing content and when looking to rank for a certain thing, um, you know, you've got your standard stuff. You've got your, put the keyword in the page title, put the keyword in the URL, put the keyword in the meta description, make sure you mention it. But people always forget the, go and look at search results, go and look at who's ranking. And that will tell you what kind of a piece of content you have to produce. It's like the answer to the test. Mm-hmm. Google, Google is telling you the answer to the test. And your on-site um, search data is giving you... Exactly, exactly. That's where I'm headed. Yeah, Google is giving you the answer to the test by showing you what kinds of content they are rewarding. And your customers, through your on-site search, are giving you the answer to the test by showing you what they want. So, Can especially... You call that, uh, reverse engineering? Reverse engineering, right, reverse engineering. So what you have to do is make sure you've got the right content. Or if you're a merchandiser, make sure, hey, if you're not, or a buyer, and I'm thinking specifically fashion, surprisingly I have experience with fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, You've gotta make sure that you're merchandising the right products. Um, And if you don't have that yellow dress, well maybe you should go buy it, especially if there's a lot of demand. Right, right. So the funny, it's funny, um, you wouldn't think Columbus, Ohio is a hub for fashion, but did you know that Victoria's Secret, Lane Bryant, and Justice, the, the girls' clothing mm-hmm. store, and I think there are a few other, Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, it's not far away, all headquartered in Columbus. I, I did not know that. I yeah. just, no. Huge. I huge. am surprised. Yeah, and I um, so I I've not worked with all of those. I did once interview at Victoria's Secret, uh, not to be a model, but to be an SEO. Um, Justice Their website's terrific, actually. Yeah, right, right. I had nothing to do with it, um, but Justice, um, the girls' clothing store, um, it was really so. Back at Rosetta, we did um, we did some work with them um, on the SEO on the SEO side, and it was really fascinating because there was a a while there working with their account that they had asked somebody to come on site and just kind of be with their team for a couple of days a week. So I was close by. So I was the one that got that honor. And it was really interesting sitting and working um, in a fashion uh, retail environment where when you walk through the halls, you'll see um, literally like hangers and hangers of clothing and people like, yeah, and it's in, and you'll see the web team going and talking to the buyers and the buyers coming over to the merchandisers and you've got clothes everywhere. 
Um, and unlike SEO, it was actually more of a female-dominated mm -hmm. environment, um, which was different than what I was used to. But it was really fascinating. Um, I feel like I, I personally learned a lot about the process of um, merchandising an e-commerce site logistically and kind of the, the real world components that go into that. And even though it was just fashion, there was certainly a lot that I felt like I ended up being able to apply from a knowledge standpoint just by walking around there and being there. It was really cool. I, I don't know if that was your experience. I couldn't agree more because I think it's, you can, you can um, white label whatever the product is or the, or the brand is. It's the same mindset. You know, it's looking at what is the consumer buying? What do we need to do more of? And what do we need to put on our website? So to switch gears, I have it on good authority that you're not a movie buff, and that good authority being you, but that you are a music person. Yes. Tell me about that. Um, I actually met my partner at a music festival. Mm -hmm. uh, we met in a bathroom line at Bonnaroo. Okay. That's true, romantic. True, true love story. <laughs> right. Um, growing up, my dad was really uh, big into music. He was what you would call a deadhead. And uh, my mom is really into theater. And I have the fondest, sweetest memories of waking up on Saturday and Sunday mornings to the smell of Hillsbury cinnamon buns and my dad blasting something along the lines of Bruce Hornsby or Steely Dan in the living room, which is below my bedroom. And so I would wake up on Sundays to the most like idyllic American Sunday morning in history. And mm -hmm. Uh, my parents took me to music festivals as kids, like, you know, small local ones. And I think it really made an impression on me. Um, I've played piano for about 20 years. Really? Mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, and my, my partner, he is an incredible musician as well, from drums to bass, guitar, vocals. And although I am not, you know, we, we try to go to a couple concerts a month. Uh, I'm going to anticipate your next question is like, who's your favorite right now? Which would be Dawes, spelled D-A-W-E-S. Uh, I've seen them about 15 times in the last couple of years. They are terrific. And yes, I would take their album to a desert island. So are you one, because I've never heard of that band. So are you one no, of those yes. people? <laughs> I feel like there are, there are a couple of different like arch types of people in the music space. There are the people that, listen to mainstream music and then there are people that scoff at the people that listen to mainstream music and really want to find this band that nobody's ever heard of and sometimes it's it's because that band is really good and maybe people should have heard of them and they just haven't been promoted i have one myself uh, red one and blue is a is a band that i have liked for a long time that not a lot of people have heard of but then there are other people that almost like safeguard those little bands that they, that they, oh, and they won't tell you because they, they want to be theirs. Right. Right. They want it to be their thing so that they can maintain their cool status. So I hope that's not you. No, it's a hundred percent. not me. <laughs> um, I love to share. Um, oh. but I will also, if, if it does come around example, Casey Musgraves, I've been listening to her album golden golden hour since mm -hmm. it came out. Right. And then she won the Grammy two weekends ago. And I was like, yes, people, this is a tremendous album. Welcome. Welcome aboard. I'm not afraid to share, but I'm also not afraid to say, guys, did I not tell you so? Um, but can I tell you, though, 
Can I, I'll wrangle it back to content quickly. Go for it. Uh, one of the things I love, uh, I know that Zach from episode two is not a major, is not a, a Spotify, Apple music kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I love Spotify. Um, I love Spotify because it makes my life easy. I can listen to whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they have a tremendous li- content library. So Dawes has 1.4 million monthly listeners and there's this whole synopsis on who they are that they bring into their website and then it links you out to their wiki, their Twitter, their Instagram, their Facebook. It's perfect. And you don't get that, sorry, Zach, from a CD. And when you listen to you know their albums, then it shows you fans also like or appears on and it's just a, it's a complete like internal backlink of all all these other assets that you might not otherwise find on your own. Um, but I do love music. I do love Dawes. Shout out to Taylor Goldsmith. And I do love Spotify, not sponsored. So the funny thing about the whole Spotify angle, I mean, I, yeah, I love, um, I, I listen to Pandora more than Spotify, but like, I guess they're, they're pretty similar. But with Zach, what people don't know is he's kind of an old soul. Like he literally has almost like a 1950s or 60s era TV that he he is like hollowed out the middle and he he now uses it as like a bar table and i i believe he's got like a record player so like i think he's one of those types that just likes the the feel of the cd or the record in his in his hand and yeah and and thinks maybe the music quality he's just an old soul he's he what what is he like he's mid-20s but he is (laughs) <laughs> He's like Grandpa Zach, basically. <laughs> um, and to that point, yeah. I also believe that people are still very much into the look, feel, and the touch. It's why mm-hmm. um, it's why we buy CDs, and sure. it's why we still go to brick and mortar stores to try on shoes, to try on outfits before we buy them ultimately online. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a believer in the tangible, and. I don't think that brick and mortar is dead. I think it has to be experiential. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I know that a big topic right now is voice search. Mm-hmm. The example that a lot of people share is recipes. And I know you chatted about this also. And, you know, you're in the kitchen and you want to bring up a recipe. Call me old fashioned, but I still like to look at it. I'm not yeah. going to just blindly go on, you know, a mission of, of making something that I can't, I can't see. Mm-hmm. Why we buy books? Um, I think I think there's still an element to the old fashioned, even when it comes to the good old fashioned World Wide Web. I learned how to build websites from a book, which right. is shocking. Right. Right. Shocking. Uh, now, ultimately, obviously, I had to apply that online, and uh, yeah. So, so let me, let me ask you this. So, I haven't said it here, but I know that it's a fact. Anthrop- anthropology to you was like a dream job what made made you leave oh my gosh jake that's a great question (laughs) enter love story yeah that boyfriend i met in the bonnaroo bathroom line Mm -hmm. he lived in atlanta lives in atlanta with me Um, and he uh, has tremendous job he works for delta and the only thing that would trump shopping benefits i would argue are travel benefits so one of us had to move uh, and give up our, our dream job. And it made more sense because we both love to travel. He does not love to shop. He does. I mean, he's 
he's well-dressed. I don't mean that in a bad way. But um, so, yeah, I took the plunge. I moved to Atlanta uh, about three years ago, and I got a job. My one condition was I wouldn't move without a job. Yeah. And so I got a job with a tremendous agency here in Atlanta, worked with some really sharp people, um, worked on some awesome CPG accounts, a lot of frozen foods, a lot of great brands. And there I was a digital strategist. So that was wearing many hats, um, everything from email marketing, CRM, social media, web analytics. Uh, It was a good time. It was a very good time. And then I felt like the next, I was ready for the next thing. And I think that is something that's really important in digital marketing is to always be hungry, to always be curious. And there was another really uh, tremendous person who came briefly through my life. Her name was Diane. I think she actually spent time at um, Sapient Razorfish as well. And mm-hmm. I just had one of these like really eye-opening sit-down lunches with her where she said, some really kind things that stuck with me and inspired me to, to be hungry, to be curious, and to see what was out there. And so I started getting some lunches with people, some coffee dates and whatnot. And the other thing I would say is, is don't take the first thing that comes your way. Because I, I sat down, I had some, some really terrific connections with people, but the job wasn't right. Mm-hmm whether it was going to take too much travel or it was too technical, full disclosure, I'm not a technical SEO. Um, And I wanted to make sure that the expectations were right and that the job description was right. And ultimately I connected with Tim at search discovery and there were more or less fireworks. And uh, I think you shared a similar experience in that Tim and I just hit it off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, it was like two girlfriends chatting and they, they couldn't get it out quick enough, you know? And I, I hung up the phone and I, I got those butterflies in the stomach and I got that great feeling knowing that search discovery was going to be a tremendous um, challenge with some of the smartest people, brightest people, hardworking people, many, many hats, but tremendously rewarding. And I think the next time I met Tim, I said, where do I sit? Yeah. I think I might have might have actually that was when I was visiting Atlanta for my first time because I started I think only like a month or a month and a half before you yeah um, yeah, yeah that's, how, that's how I ended up in Atlanta and that is why I left anthropology was to go to this great agency uh, here in Atlanta with great smart creative minds but one thing that I always craved more of was data and search discovery has certainly fed that. Uh, my agency was more creatively based um, with some tremendous creative direction, but I, I've always been um, a sucker for data. So let me, let me ask you this. Uh, I actually have a couple of questions. So what was it like going from fashion to something that's a little more boring? Frozen, frozen foods. <laughs> what was that like? You know, um, actually when I interviewed, they, they said, are you okay with going from, from dresses to bread? <laughs> I said yes. It's all the same. It's all the same principle, right? It's all how you look at it. It's the same concept. It's it's making websites better. It's making your brand more accessible. It doesn't matter if you're bread. Doesn't matter if you're a blouse. And I got to know um, you know their customers, and it was just as interesting to me. Uh, through them, it was a whole new content opportunity. It was new recipes. Um, it was um, product R&D. It was uh, what to feature in an email. 
what to feature on a coupon, coupon, what mm-hmm. to feature um, in the circulars. It was it was a different different can of worms, uh, and I, I truthfully can't say I like one more than the other. So let me ask you this then, um, because the other part of that, and I think that it's something you're experiencing now, is going from being a general strategist and mm-hmm. and doing a lot of things to getting very very specific. And I think like I think even at anthropology you were more general. Um, so what like how how are you dealing with that, and what would you recommend to people if they're considering? something like that in terms of like the pros and the cons. Yeah. Great question. So I think that having a specialty is important, but not unlike being a doctor, I think you need to be a generalist first with a specialty. So if SEO is your thing, what do you bring that's unique to everyone else in the room in terms of SEO? And for me, I love content right? Mm-hmm. I love content. I love on-site search data. I am not your technical cap and I, I, can't, I can't shoot the wind with you when it comes to technical, but if we're talking keywords and content opportunities and gaps, I mean, my blood pressure is going to pump up and I'm going to wish I wasn't wearing gray. You know, yeah. I get me excited. And so my advice would be to, to have a general understanding, but find what makes you tick. Otherwise, you will burn out and you won't enjoy what you get to do. So you don't strike me as somebody who's ever burned out, but have you? No. Okay. No. I, you know, I can truthfully say I would go back, not, not in any way shape, to be negative to search discovery. I would go back to any job I ever had, and I would go back to any experience I ever had because I think it's truly what you make of it. You know, it could be uh, it could be a bad experience, but didn't you learn something? Wasn't there someone that you learned something from? Um, yep. so I don't I don't burn out. I burn bright, Jake. I'm getting the sense that you're an optimist. I am an optimist. Yeah, and it's funny because I am I am a pessimist sometimes. If you're glass half full, I am. Um, I can sometimes be glass half empty. So. When, when other people look at an opportunity and or look at like their past jobs and think of like, man, I learned so much, but it was just, time. I, I am thinking like, I learned a lot, but my head was sticking out of the ceiling. So it was time for me to move on. I guess it's just a different, different, same result, but different way of, um, of thinking, thinking about it. And I, I also think that like, for, for me, um, there have been a couple of times, both at an agency and um, internally, where it was just I I, I burned burned out and just didn't wasn't feeling it anymore. Which is why I'm on, on the folks that you're surrounded with. If you're not in oh, challenge, inspired. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's funny. Like I I in in my own retrospective episode, I talked um, about my experience at startups, and that mm-hmm. should have been by all accounts, the perfect job for me um, because I was going from the previous job, which was traveling to Cleveland, which is for me a two and a half hour drive each way, um, twice a week, every week, plus traveling for clients. In, in, now, granted, I, I, I love my work and I love the team, but that, that became like insurmountable. And then I went to this job where it was 10 minutes from my house and it was 
the opportunity to just focus on one website and just be really good at that. And we were really good at that, but the people, it just wasn't a fit. It wasn't a fit. And so that's, um, that's a, a really important thing. Like that took, uh, what should have been for me a perfect job that if all things had went well and the people had been right, I would still be at. Um, and luckily that led me here because I'm super happy where I'm, where I'm at. And that is also a function of the people that I'm surrounded by. So that part is, um, it's important, but it's also not something that you can choose. And when you're looking at a new opportunity, it's not like I was lucky in that I knew a lot of the people Mm -hmm. coming to search discovery because of the past relationships and not everybody, um, not everybody has that benefit. You know, and I, and, uh, I think I've shared with you previously a mentality that I hold dear and that I encourage others to think about. Um, it comes, and you've mentioned it because you said optimist, the chief, chief executive optimist of the brand Life is Good. His name's Bert Jacobs. Okay. Gave, and that's his real title? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, founder. <laughs> CEO and founder, but he is the chief chief. Um, chief executive optimist, and he shares what's called the get to mentality. And there was a day where I was uh, in a previous job and I noticed that a coworker of mine had an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper printed in size, you know, 72 aerial bold block font that just said get to on his desk. And I said, Stephen, what does that mean? And he goes, do you have a second? I said, absolutely. And he shared with me what get to mentality means, um, which Bert Jacobs shared in his TED talk about why life is good. And life is good because we get to do these things. Yeah. And we get to have jobs. We get to do the laundry. We get to drive to work. We get to go to parties. We get to celebrate birthdays. Um, and we should feel fortunate. And that's not to say that we should take everything that comes our way um, blindly and be naively optimistic Mm -hmm. I think it's a shift in the mentality of I get to go to my work and I get to sit in traffic because I have a job and I've chosen to have a job and truthfully I enjoy what I get to do and I make a conscious effort when I'm out and about whether it's at a wedding or the bar or Thanksgiving with family and people ask me oh what do you do and I respond to it I say I get to do digital marketing. I get to do search analytics. I get to do SEO. And I don't think they even realize that I've said get to, but it totally changes the mood of the conversation. Cause it's no longer, Oh, I'm lamenting my job or I'm lamenting what I do. It's what I get to do. No, that is a great way to, um, to look at that. And for me, like I, absolutely something that I feel like I, I, I should incorporate. Um, that is, that is a really awesome way to look at it. And, um, it really puts things in perspective in, in, I think of people that are working not fun jobs or, or dead end jobs for not great pay or that can't find a job or that don't know what they want to do. And we who get to do this job are really lucky. Um, we get to make it our own, which I think is another really important thing to touch on in SEO and in digital marketing. The, the landscape changes every day. Mm-hmm. And as you, you know, you've discussed is that there's not, you can't major in, you can't major in SEO and you can't major nope. in web analytics. 
And so you have to make it what you want it to be for you. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of confidence issues. I've had a lot of um, crisis of career where I think to myself, am I in the right path? Have I spent the last you know, decade working in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Would I be better off doing something else? Am I not smart enough? Am I not good enough? Do I not know the right people? And you have to just have a moment with yourself and say, I get to do this and I get to make it what I want it to be. And my thing is content. And yeah. I love And it's the psychology behind what are people looking for? What data sets can I dig into and deliver on that? And then how can I deliver on that for my clients? And at the end of the day, I remind myself of that. And it's really satisfying. So speaking of satisfying, tell me about uh, a success or a win that you've had. So with um, a previous CPG brand at my previous agency, they were uh, um, cranking out recipes for their products. Mm -hmm. And I said, guys, this is great, but I feel like we're shouting into the wind. Um, You know, we're trying to rank with the Pillsbury's of the world and we're trying to beat out food, you know, foodnetwork.com and Bon Appetit. And it's kind of like the chocolate chip cookies analogy. You're never going to rank first for chocolate chip cookies. So what can we do that's a little bit different? And so I came back to the drawing table with some keyword insights, which I know is, is pretty elementary, but it can invoke some really interesting conversations. And then it also uncovers what are other agency partners working on? Because a lot of times these big CPG brands, if you are the agency of record, if you're the AOR, you're not doing everything. So you also don't simultaneously know everything that's going on. So they said, oh, well, you know, we're working on these, um, these quick and easy recipes. And I said, okay, let's, what can we do with that? And so digging into the keyword research around quick and easy recipes, we put together, I hate this word, a listicle. Um, of five quick and easy meals. Mm-hmm. And we put it together. We put some recipes together. We repurposed. I'm all about reduce, reuse, repurpose. Um, we repurposed some of the assets they were already working on and just put together this listicle page. And what do you know? Somehow, with the magic of SEO, we had this, the number one spot for for quick and easy meals, five quick and easy meals. And how much search volume? I, I, it's a pop quiz, Jake. I don't remember what the MSP <laughs> is on that, but I do know that looking through um, GA, looking through GSC, it was off the charts. Nice. Yeah. It was off the charts. It sounds like and it would get a lot. Client, um, who doesn't really understand SEO and they don't know these acronyms and they don't really know what they're paying for. If I can tell them, I drove this incremental traffic to your website, and oh, what do you know? You had this uptick in products moved from the freezer aisle. You don't think there's a correlation? I know I can't. I know I can't put a. I can't put my finger on it because we're not there yet. But I believe that my organic traffic drove their uptick in sales based on these quick and easy meals, and that kind of um, opened the door for ongoing content conversations with that client who was historically a little bit more conservative, not only, but um, not only with their budget, but also with their production and their assets because they, they understood it. 
And so to me, the big breakthrough moment was also that the client was on board and they saw how we can move the needle. Yeah, and it, it really speaks to the idea that um, if you can show them once that you can move the needle and have a tangible impact to their business, that is an important, important trust builder. And there are a lot of accounts, there are a lot of clients, a lot of agencies, um, even in-house, that aren't talking enough about results and mm -hmm. aren't reporting yep, yep out nearly an, enough about performance. Um, sometimes it's on purpose, sometimes it's it's not. But that's the, I mean, that's ultimately what we get paid for. Um, and, and when you start to show people, hey, this is working, it opens up the door to so many other things in terms of what you can do, what they're willing to execute. Um, not only that, but they're passion and intensity about making it happen more quickly. Um, I, I, I feel like earlier I was talking, um, talking a little bit down about the startups opportunity, but one of the awesome things that happened there, working with their development team, and once I was able to get them in a meeting and say, hey guys, remember the thing that we did a couple of months ago? Look at the results now. And, and once they saw that, they became infinitely, infinitely more open to following along with what I was asking them to do and, and prioritizing it and pushing it faster and faster and faster. And by the time we, by the time I left and even still after I left, like traffic had doubled um, to their, to their site. And that was data driven. I think that's what's so exciting about it. It's yeah. like, right. Yeah, it was data-driven, and um, it started very early on in the process. If I had not shown them that it had worked, we wouldn't have got all those other things done. So that's a huge, huge, huge thing. You know people say content is king? Data is king. I think data is king. And data I specifically I specifically think that search data is king. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, there's, there's a joke, two jokes. I'm not a comedian, um, but that, um, you know, they say that without strategy, content is just stuff and the world has enough stuff. Mm -hmm. yep. And the other thing is that when you look at, when you look at content, if you're just adding to the noise, you're never going to rank. You're never going to be where you want to be. If you're not doing something mm -hmm. that's different, you're not sure. doing something unique. Yeah. Yeah. So the other, it's funny that you mentioned that. So the other piece of advice that I give people outside of looking at what your competitors are doing, the second piece of advice is, okay, once you see what your competitors are doing, that's the floor. That's the minimum viable product. And then you have to figure out, okay, I at least have to produce that or something like that. And then how can I make it better? And how can I do better than they are? And how can I spin it um, in a way that is very unique to my brand and my values. And that's always the challenge. Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that is always the, the challenge. Google is giving you the answers, um, but it's a zero-sum game. So you have to figure out, okay, like these are the people that are ahead of me and I've got to unseat them. How? Well, Google's giving you the answers, but then you have to figure out how to do it better. Yep. Um, because chances are they've, they've been there and they've been there for a while and they've got all of these signals that are telling Google to keep them there and you have to figure out how you can 
produce a piece of content that is so good and so well optimized and so well integrated that it unseats all of those signals and, and supersedes it so that you can dis displace some of those people. And I, and I think it's a, it's a whole new market. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this also with my partner because he's not, he's an engineering and business. He's doesn't, he's not in marketing that marketing is a whole new job industry that didn't exist 20 years ago in the capacity that it does today. And with every algorithm update, with every new industry, there's a new market for jobs, which I think is yeah. also um, truthfully a little exhausting to keep up with. <laughs> it is. It's funny. Um, I, in episode, I believe it was nine, I talked to Joanna Galish, and she was previously an SEO, and now she's an Amazon yeah. SEO. So, like, there are these sites and these brands that are getting so big that they're starting to attract jobs specifically for people to go on their site and optimize only those results. Yeah. So it's optimizing a site within a search engine, a search engine within a search engine. It's amazing. I, I love it. And that's the type of content yeah. I think that, um, you know, to go back to your earlier question, if you're just looking at SEO from a website optimization, you, ne you need to catch up. It's not, it's no longer just about, you know, your domain ranking. Mm -hmm. It's multidimensional and it's having an awareness of all of the different areas that people can be drawn to your brand and how they're ultimately going to land on your website. It's no longer just Google. It's a yeah. mix of UX. It's a mix of user signals. Like you're saying, it's a mix. If you have e-com capabilities of Amazon and making sure that your site is optimized for that as well. It's so complex. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the funny thing was, so I, ha I have a, an unaired interview. I was talking to um, Daniel Ang from Revzilla last night. And one of the, he, he asked me an interesting question. Um, how much BD do we do? And that led me to um, talk about how sometimes other agencies who are trying to take work away from, from you will come in and they will come in at the C level and say, hey, your, 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 your site's got SEO problems. And then they'll send them a list of like, you've got missing page titles or missing H1s or missing H2s. And um, certainly that is part of the overall e equation, right? You want to be up to, to best practices standpoint. Um, but it drives, me, it drives me up a wall and it, and it more specifically drives me up a wall when I know that SEO is this complex thing, but also knowing that there are still people out there who believe that that is how you do SEO. It's just yes. go optimize your page titles, your H1s, and, 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 and uh, you'll be okay. And really, it's so much more. Than that. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, um, whew, yeah, no. And, and, and the funny thing, the only other reason I mention it is I saw, um, today, somebody I follow on Twitter who I actually don't necessarily care for and I don't necessarily agree with them and I don't even know why I still bother to follow <laughs> them. But this person um, actually said something today that I agree with and it was along those lines, um, the exact same thing. If you're in this day and age um, doing SEO in, in the level of complexity that you've reached is clean up page titles and headings, you're not really doing SEO. Right. Not really doing SEO. You know what I think is the other um, data set that has gone 
untapped. And I'm blurring lines here. I know that I'm blurring lines between oh. SEO and search, or excuse me, and social listening. Mm-hmm. I think if, uh, so a couple in my past life, a couple of tools that I've, I've really enjoyed um, are tapping into social listening and using the social listening insights from those tools and then layering them with on-site search data mm-hmm. and layering them with keyword research. And if you kind of take those ingredients, it's like you're making the best chocolate chip cookies on earth um, because it's, it's, it's like, a, like I was saying, it's like that multidimensional data set. You can't yeah. just look at monthly search volume. You can't just look at no. Google Analytics. You know, and in the same vein, you can't just look at your social analytics and reporting. Yeah. How are people talking, not about your brand, but about the space that you're in? And then to me, that's how you can identify like that white space. Where do you need to put your brand? Where do you need to develop content? Mm -hmm. And I think some um, QSR and fast food brands do it really well. Um, they're a little bit more PG-13, if you will. But the more playful and responsive you can be, not just in terms of, kind of like you're saying, robotically adjusting your meta or changing you know, your pay- on-page copy, but figuring out what is, what is fun, what is new, what is different, how are people talking about this industry and creating content in that space that, yes, does have optimized meta, and schema, et cetera. But it's, it's more than that. You have to be, I think, open to many data streams. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things, um, and it, it spurned, I guess, a thought in my head, context. Context. That's, like, context is king. Context, context is critical. Um, and I agree that search data is king, and content is queen, and so that makes context the prince right sure i'm a huge game of thrones fan so that makes that makes sense for me um but yeah no it's funny that you also mentioned search volume and like as seos we're trained to only focus on search volume and i can't tell you how many times um i have looked at a keyword and thought "Mm -hmm, this looks like it would be super relevant for my client but then you actually go and look at the search results, and it was so not relevant. The results that are being returned are so not relevant, and I was like, wow, I could have told my client to go optimize for that thing. Um, one great example, and I can't remember the, the client, but there was a search query. I can't even remember the search query, and my first thought was, yeah, this looks like a good query. Look at this search volume, and then when I went and looked at the results, Honestly, the results were from like car stereo companies. (laughs) And I was like, well, that has nothing to do with anything that my client does. I don't think that I'm going to advise them to optimize for for the thing. Yeah. Um, Perfect example. I was actually at a client on site just the other day and we were talking about keyword mapping and what we want to develop content against in 2019. And home care and home services is a huge one. Mm-hmm. But then you have to think about what's the intent? Mm-hmm. What are people trying to find? What is, Google, what is Google rewarding? Yeah. You know, well, what, more like what do they mean when they're, when they're searching for that? I need, I yep. need more context clues. Are you search, when you're searching for home care, 
Are you searching for someone to clean your gutters? Yeah. Searching for someone to help your mom out of bed in the morning. Right. Yeah. And if I am a gutter service company, I want to rank. If I am a in-home senior care company, I want to rank. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, you couldn't get more different than that because my mom is not cleaning the gutters. But it's figuring, out, <laughs> it's figuring <laughs> out what is what is the user intent there. And that's right. to me where search is so interesting. You have to look mm-hmm. at you know, user signals and other user clues. And that's also where demographics come in, comes into place. You know, who's coming to your site and what are they doing once they're there? So, so tell me about a failure you've had. This, this, this podcast is as much about failure as it is about success. So tell me about a failure you've had. I'm thinking, not that I'm, not that I'm short on failures. I'm trying to think of where I've failed myself. Um, I, I think an interesting place of, of failure is is potentially hiring people who are not on the same wavelength as you are. And what I mean by that is people who you fundamentally disagree with and you can't get past it. And I think it's difficult when you both kind of come to that realization and you're you both kind of want to break up, but you also both care deeply, but the way that you're approaching things is, is different. So in my past agency, um, a lot of work was creative and mm-hmm. brilliant, and a lot of what I was trying and, and screaming about was, was data and trying to, to use data to drive the strategy so that if it won – you know, I mean, if, if the creative assets were successful, then we could tie it back to, hey, we did that because versus I thought it was going to be a really good idea and I was right. And I think it's just a different, um, it's a different school of thought. And I think you either are data driven or you're creative driven. Sometimes I straddle the line. Um, I am a creative person by nature, but I'm also inspired and intrigued by data. And so I would say failure would be maybe it's, you know, it's a growth of, of mine is, is trying to be more open to just spontaneous creativity. So are you, are you saying that this, this person was creative and didn't care about the, the data side of the, the house? They just, I, I don't know, I guess what, cause you, cause when you started off, you were like, eh, maybe, hiring the wrong person, but then it, I feel like you turned it around on, on, on yourself. So I talked myself through it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just, I, I think you can take the same, the same situation and apply it to any industry, mm-hmm. to any relationship where if you have a fundamentally different point of view on how to do things and how to approach business and how you define business success, if you are fundamentally different, you're not going to be very successful. How do you avoid hiring people that you know are not a culture or an ideological fit? I think um, having them on your podcast. (laughs) No, joking. Sam puts in a resignation letter tomorrow. No, not whatsoever. No, I'm saying like, (laughs) 
I think that having more um, candid conversations yep. and less canned conversations and opening up about your experience and really what makes you go crazy, mm-hmm. like figuring out, oh my gosh, we're going to stay up late at night because we're both crazy about this and mm-hmm. we're not even going to realize it versus we're going to constantly clash because haha, you're awesome with a creative vision, but I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to work based on the demographics of who's coming to the site. And that's not really how people are talking about that subject. I know it rhymes. I know it's a fun alliteration, but we're not going to show up anywhere and no one's going to get it. And I also think some of that is instinct. So anyway, I think, I think long story short is be yourself, be candid, and uh, when you're interviewing people to join your team or to work alongside with you, I think being yourself and um, really getting to know the person as who they are, what's important to them, what values do they hold, what makes them tick is more important than their portfolio or that type of stuff. Unless they can say that something they did drove that and voila. So something that you brought up um, before, and I'm, I hope I'm, I don't embarrass you, something that you brought up before coming on this podcast was uh, being a little bit in, intimidated because we've had really smart people and actually uh, people that are more technical in nature. That hasn't been everybody. Um, and you talked about maybe not in this interview, in my opinion, is going really, really well as, as well as any of the others. Um, just put that out there. But you, you were intimidated and, and expressed like, hey, I'm worried that I'm not going to sound as smart and there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. And if you've listened to my episodes, like that's been a big topic. And, and that is something that I, I think is pervasive, not just with SEO, but in, in marketing. And I read, I don't know who posted it on LinkedIn today. Um, so it was a, a woman and she had been in SEO for a while and she was expressing in light of what had happened recently at YoastCon with all of the, the drama, just being disenfranchised with the industry where for the last 20 years, the people that are considered leaders, and this was her perspective, I don't know, I agree with some of it people that were considered leaders in the industry feeling like you have to shout your way to the top. And then when you get to the top, you have to keep shouting to stay there and to maintain your position. And for, for me and for people that haven't shouted their way to the top, there's, there's a huge feeling of in, in inferiority or like they're going to, they're going to find out that I'm not as smart as, as they are. And, and keeps you up at night. It does. So like my question is like, how, how do you, how do you deal with that? I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, I'm going to say a slew of things, but one (laughs) thing I also want to say is that I don't think that um, this syndrome is exclusive to marketing. No, I think that people in every industry feel the same way. CEOs. When I, when I was at startups.co, lots of CEOs have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You would think they would be the most confident people ever. Um, my, my partner, he is one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And he will be kept up at night with self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that we can tell our loved ones or our best friends or our family that will convince them otherwise. It has to come from within yourself. 
And I, yeah. I think it's something that we will each struggle with for eternity mm-hmm. because self-doubt, whether you're male, female, um, anything in between, it's not going to matter. If you don't believe in yourself, you, only you can change that, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think uh, as I was listening to your podcast, I was blown away by just how brilliant and inspiring your guests have been. And the, the, the proxy effect of that is intimidation. And then you're thinking, you know, am I them? Am I as good as them? And a tremendous book, if you haven't read it, is Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And she talks, about, yeah. she talks about her whole life growing up in the South side of Chicago was, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. And Jake, I know you've talked about that too. Am I good enough? Yeah. And you could come from any background, any family dynamic, and you will always question if you're good enough. I don't care what a big hothead you are. The, the, the dude who had a fire festival, you don't think there was a teeny part of him who was wondering, you know, am I good enough? Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, how successful you are. You're always wondering, am I good enough? And I think the only way you can overcome that is to have other things in your life that gratify you. And I think that the better you can be as a person and that you have other interests, other hobbies that I think are your foundation and the architecture of who you are, you'll be more confident in who you are. And then you'll feel like when you're going out into the world and you have a career and you have a job that you are well-rooted and founded in who you are and that what you have to offer, hey, baby, that's the best I got. Take it or leave it, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, that's great advice. I think it's less so working on your career and working more on yourself. Yeah, a lot of people are derive a lot of who they are based on the work that they Mm -hmm. do in their job. I'm I'm one of those people, Um, and it's... I think that's that's really good advice. And for me, in the last several years, having having a growing family, that's been put in perspective a lot more. Yep. And I think my confidence has definitely definitely come along personally. Um, and a, a lot of that is by not basing as much of who I am a, as a person off of what I what I do as a as a, as a exactly. job. That's exactly. a double edged sword. If you, um, I, also stress, yeah. I also think stress management is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ability to check it out the door and not bring it home. Um, hello, if I could, don't you think I would? Yeah. Uh, so I think sometimes that is difficult. So I think figuring out, I, I still struggle with that. You know, I, I feel the impulsive need when I get home to, to hop on Twitter, to hop on LinkedIn, to get back on Slack, to read yeah to catch up. But I have to remind myself that there's a balance for that. And so I think stress management and um, prioritization is really important. Yoga is important to me. Running is important to me. Um, Drinking at night is sometimes important to me. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes you need to, man. Sometimes you just got to have a drink or something, something to let off. Cuddling with my kitten, just saying, you know, I'm not going to turn the TV on. Yeah. Um, And that's okay. You yeah, know, it is okay. That's all okay. Um, I actually, um, side note, I have over 400 hours. I am a yoga certified teaching instructor. 
Oh, really? Okay. That was something that came about because I recognized that I had a lot of stress in my life. Yeah. And I also had a lot of, I was single at the time, so I also had time. And figuring out how to incorporate um, stress relief into your life and figuring out your own self-worth that is not solely based on your job, I think will do wonders for your confidence and your capabilities. So I once did P90X, which I was awful at, and yoga was a component of that. So that is my the extent of my yoga experience. You know what's a hoot? When people tell me they fall asleep in yoga, I'm like, what the heck kind of yoga are you? Yoga's freaking, yoga's hard. It's, are you kidding me? It is yeah. so hard. Yeah, yoga's hard. It is so hard. I don't know how you can possibly fall asleep unless you're in, of course, Shavasana. And then, yes, you're maybe you're snoring. But when I hear girlfriends say, oh, I can't go to yoga, it's so boring, I'm saying, you have the wrong class. Yeah, or maybe your brain is just boring because it gives you a lot of time just to think. Mm-hmm. And being able to tune that out, right? Like, yeah. tune, out, tune out your phone, tune out the, the world, and just tap in. And I think that's also important. an important balance is that the, the industry that we are fortunate enough to work in, yes, it is challenging and it is exhausting. And how do you counter that? Because unlike, I think, other fields where you have a, a stop-go, you have seasonality, we all know Google updates their algorithm, what, five or 600 times a year? Mm-hmm. Um, and the World Wide Web never takes a nap. Nope. The internet never sleeps. And so our jobs, especially if you're in e-com, are 24-7. So how do you, how do you find time for yourself? So let me ask you... Um, and I don't want to fully get into this whole issue with Yost, Yost Khan and the climate, especially around women with respect to sexual harassment and, um, just men being honestly being idiots, uh, in, in that climate over the course of time and that climate what it was like 10 years ago and what it might still be like today. Um, don't necessarily want to go there because that's a, that's a whole nother issue for a whole nother episode. But what is it like being a, the only female on an all male team? So thank you for pointing that out. Yes. Um, and I think it is what you make of it. I think you can choose to um, stake your flag in that you are the only female but then I also think there is a certain um, perception that comes with that, with that, that that's how you've identified yourself. So for me personally, um, being the only female on an all male SEO team, yes, I recognize it, mm-hmm. but I don't choose to make it an issue. Why? I don't see uh, gender as being something that is an identifying factor to me. I think that women are as smart as men. I think that men are as smart as women. And um, I think that everyone has something that's very important to them. And as a woman, yes, I recognize I'm the only woman, but I don't think that's how I want to carve out my career as being a female. I don't want to be known as a female. I just want to be known as a marketing strategist. Yeah. Not a female marketing strategist. And actually, I think there was a wonderful quote um, from a NASA scientist where she said, 
um, they said, oh, she's, you know, the fe a female NASA scientist. And she said, no, no, no. I'm just a NASA a scientist. scientist. Yeah. Like, there's not a qualifier needed. And um, I have been fortunate in my life to have been um, – I don't have any instances of a me too or a harassment or a sexual assault. And maybe that's why I feel the way that I do. And I completely recognize that. And I recognize that I'm fortunate and I recognize that's maybe why I feel this way. But um, gender is not something that I have chosen to stand myself on. No, I think that's, I, I think everything that you're, you're saying is, is valid. Um, I know that there there are other women that have different different opinions uh, about the balance, yes. and uh, and honestly, I would like to. And it's not that we don't have balance in specifically search discovery in other areas. There are plenty plenty of great females that work at search discovery who are amazingly amazingly smart. Um, I only speak to this because that is the current distribution of the team, and not only that, that was every other place that I've been at. The way that the team was distributed, especially in leadership uh, positions in SEO specifically, all all male, and I I just I've never never personally under understood that, um, and it's not I to say think there's I also think there's an interesting um, counterswing to that is that the previous agency I worked for was almost exclusively female. Wow, in See, I've never experienced that. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I don't think many people have. I think it's pretty rare. And when I was trying to make the decision to leave or not, that was a huge factor. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, you know, I'm like, wow, I, I am in a male-dominated. Yes. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think fundamentally it changes much. Yeah. Uh, I'm fortunate, I suppose, to work with really tremendous men and women. Yeah who don't make it an issue. Yeah, no, it's definitely, and where we work now, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not an issue. Would I like to see more balance? Yes, I would on our team. I think that also, I would have more female girlfriends to go. To well, there work. is that we need, we need <laughs> Sam to have more drinking buddies, um, yeah. but I need more yoga buddies so I can go catch a glass of Sauvignon Blanc with afterwards. The, um, the flip side of that is hiring people just to balance things out, whether they're qualified or, or, or not. So um, I hope to achieve balance someday because I, I feel like uh, females bring a certain perspective that no matter how hard we try, men just do not have. Um, and I think that that would ultimately be good for the team, but we will see how that plays out. Isn't it funny too how I, I still feel like when you go to certain – blogs, websites that most of their blog articles or at least most um, of their content writing is by females? I didn't notice that. I don't um, know. I feel like I, I feel like I've, I, and I guess I don't really like, I don't really identify things as blogs anymore. Like or if I'm looking at a news publication, a lot of times when I look at a news story, I don't even look at who wrote it. Maybe that's the journalism yeah. major in me, but I'm yeah. always like, oh, written by Jenna or by you know, Samantha, I'm like, come on, Matt. Come on, Jake. Yeah. The pen. Get shopping. <laughs> yeah, no, I never even, um, honestly, I, I rarely focus. Like if I see, if I'm on my phone and I'm, and I'm searching the web and I see like an article about 
hey, there was a great white shark spotted off of the coast of Hawaii, which interestingly enough was an article I just read the other day. Um, Honestly, I can't tell you who wrote that. It was National Geographic or something like that. Can't tell you who wrote it. I I guess I just don't pay attention. Not not perceptive. I think also with with, uh, maybe articles or pieces of content like that that are not necessarily an authentic piece of content, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. You're looking for the headline. So I feel like we've talked a lot about tactics. What are some tools that you're really enjoying right now? So, you know, I call me old-fashioned. I think there is a wealth of data to be found in Google Analytics. Yeah. Um, I do. I don't, and it's free. Um, whenever I bring it up for friends or family, they are amazed at the wealth of data we have at our fingertips mm-hmm. with a free tool like that. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's looking at um, you know, on-site search data or analytics or landing page traffic or engagement quality, user signals, everything you probably want to know about your website is right there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really great starting point. Um, Looking at Ahrefs, I think that's a tremendous okay. tool as well, and I'll give you a high five on that, Jake. Um, some tools that I've worked with in the past that I really enjoy, as I was mentioning, I think social listening is a missing data set in terms of SEO. Um, looking at Brandwatch, Infigy, NetBase. Um, with those, sometimes, yes, it can be drinking from a fire hose, but if you can figure it out, I think there is tremendous data to be found there. Even if your client... Or even if you're not responsible for social list, or for social reporting on your client, I still think that social listening tools are really valuable to have in your toolkit. Um, and then, of course, SEM Rush, Screaming Frog, all the all the SEO classics, if you will. And I'll also note for any newbies listening, a lot of those come with a free or a limited um, demo. So I would I would suggest to experiment. You don't have to have an enterprise uh, subscription, as Jake would tell you. You can make do without having enormous contracts in some of those tools. Yeah, yeah if you're scrappy, um, and I came from a, a startup, so I had to be scrappy, didn't have a big tooling budget. Um, if you're scrappy, you'll find a way to pull out the data from those systems. That you know what's you a great one? Um, is SpyFu. SpyFu, um, you can do some great combat research. And you don't need any any login even. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's uh, there's tons of fun tools out there, subscription based or not. So you mentioned newbies. So somebody is getting into SEO this year, this moment. No matter where they came from, what would you tell them? Or marketing could just be marketing. I would uh, be, be true to yourself. Be genuine. Find what's going to keep you alive. Find what's going to keep you passionate. Find what's going to keep you ticking. For me, it's looking at those consumer insights, looking at search data, looking at connecting the dots. If for you, it's the technical side and having that type A behavior, by all means, do it. If for you, it's looking at email open rates and click-through rates and optimizing subject lines, holy heck, there is a whole industry for email marketing. Um, If for you, it's looking at engagement rates on social graphics, Facebook versus Instagram, where should I invest my paid, my paid budgets, figure that out. Um, And also anticipate change. So don't get too comfortable. 
don't have too much of a game plan because the tool that you love, the industry you love, the space that you love may or may not cease to exist in five years. Hello, Snapchat. Yeah. Um, email marketing, I think, is um, a legacy item. I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, sorry, haters, but SEO is never going to die. No, it's just going to change. It's just going to change, right? And so it's it's anticipating change and being um, flexible, being curious, and being ready for what's next, and not playing, not um, not being not being too too close to your roots, I suppose. Being 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 open to to grow. So did you just say holy heck? I did, and I'm from Philly, and I'm you're not even. You're this. drinking wine. This is an adult podcast you're allowed to go the extra mile and just say holy hell it's okay i give you permission. Holy heck is so much easier to say though actually it sounds a lot more wholesome oh but only if you knew right right so where can people find you great question <laughs> it's funny not literally on social media <laughs> correct um but it's funny i talk i talk a big talk about social listening and being engaged i have a I have a relatively private social media life and my, the reason for that is that I think a lot of what you have to say comes back to haunt you. Politicians and celebrities, uh, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandmas, cousins. And I just don't always welcome that exchange to be perfectly honest with you. Mm -hmm. So um, most of my social channels are private. I'm on Instagram with Samantha, but the S is a five. Yes. Five A M A N T H A. I'm on Twitter at Sam Mayer with one M S A M A Y E R, and on LinkedIn Samantha Mayer, SEO manager at Search Discovery, and on Facebook. But I will just say I'm not I'm not tremendously active. I don't share a tremendous amount. Uh, I try to keep my personal life pretty personal, and I am pretty active on Instagram. But it's not going to be marketing. It's going to be my personal life, my cat, my boyfriend. And traveling. We've been to together uh, 18 countries. So if you like traveling and cats, you might want to request to follow me. Well, there is a sliver of the internet that exclusively likes both of those things. So There's a huge piece of the internet who right. loves cats, boyfriends, and global right. travel. <laughs> well, I want to, want to say again, this was an awesome interview. You should not have felt intimidated. You, you did great. <laughs> oh, well, thank Good you. Um, really appreciate you staying on. It's now late at night, and, and, and I think it's, it's now time to go to sleep. So appreciate you staying on to the end and being candid and um, being awesome. And I will just say to anyone out there, I know this isn't live, but believe in yourself. Absolutely. Great advice. Advice to live by. All right. Have a good one, guys. Good night. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms, including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm 
forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated. If you're an SEO who would like to be interviewed, I'd love to have you. Simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up. Until next time, happy optimizing.